All right. Good evening, everyone. Can you give me a wave, please? Thank you. If you've not met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here, um, and I'll be speaking um, this evening. Now, we're in the middle of uh, August. As it stands, August is a wonderful time of year, but kind of summer is more than half over. Sorry to say that we're drawing uh, to an end of it. But for me, I really like this time of year because I'm looking forward to something that happens at the end of summer. And that is at the beginning of September, um, the American football season starts. And if you know anything about me, you know, I'm a huge fan of American football. I've been following it since 1985. Uh, so I think this is my 36th season doing that, work out how old I am. Um, but that's what I've been doing. I started when I was 10 and I've been a huge fan um, and I've been consistently following it. And I've been consistently following one team because our family connection, we actually have a family, one family connection with the United States in an area in the Northeast called New England. And there is an American football team basically called the New England Patriots. And so I've been following them for 36 years every season and if you are a sports fan and you follow a team or anything like that you'll know there are highs and there are lows and when I started following the Patriots there were a lot of lows because they weren't very good in fact they were consistently not good so for the first sort of 15 years of following them it was basically bad to the point where people would laugh at me for being a Patriots fan I used to play American football in my teens and I remember being on the coach uh, going to a game and the, the head coach of the team, he was an American uh, from New York and he was talking to the kids and we were having a laugh and a joke and he was asking us which teams we supported. And when he asked me, he said, Stuart, that's how he said my name, he said, Stuart, who do you support? And I said, New England Patriots coach. And he laughed and the whole bus laughed at me because they were bad. They were just bad. But I stuck with it. Um, but then something happened at the turn of the millennium in the 2000s. The Patriots went from being bad to actually being really very good. And they were consistently good for many, many years to the point where they're probably one of the best teams of the 21st century in the league. One stuff, one Super Bowl, very good, lots of good players. And so being a Patriot fan suddenly became brilliant, something that was good to be people like Ben you suddenly realize there was a lot of Patriots found around because they were doing so well but then a couple of years ago things started to go down some of their star players left last season particularly wasn't pretty they lost more games than they won um, and it's not good and this season uh, even with the most optimistic it's not going to do well but you know what I'm a consistent fan I'm going to keep going in the good times and the bad times I'm going to keep following them I'm going to keep supporting them and what we're going to look at tonight in 2 Timothy chapter 4 is this whole idea of keeping going and being consistent in the good times and the bad times and what Paul talks about here to Timothy is actually he gives him one commandment one charge in this passage and he says you've got to do this and you've got to do it in the good times in the bad times the phrase he uses in season and out of season that's what you've got to keep doing Timothy keep going regardless so if you've got a bible you hope you found 2 Timothy chapter 4 and we're now reaching the end of this letter there's this week and then we've got two weeks off and then we come back we've got one more week where we're going to look at the final sections we're in the last chapter of this letter and we've gone through it all and Paul the apostle um, is writing to his beloved son in the faith Timothy and he's giving him his last um, sort of um, message before he dies because we know Paul is coming to the end of his life we know that he is facing execution and he's trying to pass on to Timothy all the things he's learned and what Timothy's do and the kind of overriding message we've looked at is that he is to keep going and the image that we've looked at is the idea of um, a relay race where there is a baton and the baton is then passed from one runner to the next and 
Paul is passing the baton on to Timothy. And in this passage, we actually see kind of that moment where Paul is recognizing, I'm done, I'm out. I need you to keep going, Timothy, in this. And so the image of the relay race and the passing of the baton is so very relevant um, to what we're going to read. So hopefully you've got the Bible. Now, giving you enough time, let's read it. It says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry for i am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come i have fought the good fight i have finished the race i have kept the faith henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing so big idea. What we're going to be looking at today is that we are to keep going in telling other people about Jesus. We are to keep going in telling other people about Jesus because the previous generation will not be around forever. The previous generation will not be down forever. It's up to us to keep going in this um, message giving. So what we've got here is Paul is giving a very clear command to Timothy. And what I want to look at is four things. I want to look at the what of the command, the why of the command, the how of the command, and the who is giving the command. And so the what of the command, first up, Paul says to Timothy, I charge you. I charge you. And this is a solemn moment. It is a solemn, um, um, assertive word that Paul is giving to Timothy. It is grave. It is important. Uh, Timothy, if Paul had been with Timothy, he might have grabbed him by the shoulders, turned his face, put his hand on and looked him in the eye and said, listen to this, Timothy. This is important. And so Paul is giving this charge. He's already done it actually previously in the letter. If you flip back to chapter two, verse 14, he's used this same language saying, this is important, Timothy. And this is the last one he's going to give in the letter. And he says to Timothy, he says, I charge you. And then he invokes witnesses. He invokes witnesses to what he's saying. And it says in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. So we have God the Father there and Jesus, God the Son, who is, has the title Christ that we've looked at through his letter, the Messiah, the Chosen One. And so Paul is taking Timothy before God into the presence of God and saying, this is what I'm telling to you. And these two witnesses are going to kind of be there observing what I have passed on to you, which gives it so much gravity and urgency to what Paul is saying. And then he says that he says, so these are the witnesses and he gives motivation because he describes who these people are. He says that Jesus particularly he says he is the judge of the living and the dead. So this is a, a mention of his deity. Jesus is God. Uh, he is the one who has all sovereign power and authority. And he he stands as judge over all mankind. The living, the dead is reference to those who are obviously alive now and those who will be alive, but also those who've all gone in the past. So there's a kind of a, a vast uh, ages spanning word there that Jesus is Lord of all and he is going to judge 
all mankind. So Timothy will be examined in the work that he does, how he responds to this charge, just like um, in the parable of, of the tenants and um, where, where Jesus told that and then someone comes back and assesses their work and they're given rewards or they're punished for how they've acted. And this is what Tim, uh, Paul is giving to Timothy. And he also refers to the appearing of his kingdom, saying there is a time coming when this will happen. There is a time in the future when Jesus' kingdom will break in in its fullness at his second coming and all this stuff will come to light. Jesus will stand and he will judge everyone and there will be rewards and consequences depending on how you've acted in light of what I'm saying to you. And so there is the witnesses, there is a motivation. And then Paul gets to the command at the beginning of verse two. This is the one command in this um, uh, this sort of section. There's been many more throughout um, the letter. We've looked at them all. But Paul simply says to him three words. He says, preach the word. That is proclaim the good news of Jesus, preach the gospel. And this is and covers everything. It covers the Old Testament, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah and all of that meant. It means Jesus coming, his incarnation, his life, the miracles and teaching, his death on the cross in our place for our sin, his subsequent resurrection from the dead as vindication that he has conquered the powers of sin and death, his ascension into heaven where he is now glorified and ruling reigning at the right hand of the Father and his returning one day he will come back as the judge of all mankind, the all-conquering king, and every eye will see him and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We are to proclaim this, Timothy, proclaim this wherever you are, wherever you go. And he is to do it. He says, be ready, which is a position of um, alertness, standby, uh, a posture, imagine, of an athlete on the start line, ready to go before the gun is fired. He's saying, Timothy, be ready. But he says, in season and out of season. And what that means is when it's convenient and when it's not convenient, when it will go well for you, it could go in your favor and when it could go definitely not in your favor, when people will, will accept it gladly what you're saying and when people will outright oppose what you're saying. You are to preach the word all the time, consistently in the ups, in the downs. You are never to stop preaching the word it is something that should mark your life it should be something that is constantly happening in wherever you find yourself to me that's what you're to do and then he describes uh what this looks like he uses three words he says he is to reprove which means to this is an ex intellectual dynamic which means he is to challenge false teaching he is to refute arguments he is to uh reveal sin in people's life by saying this is what you're doing this is what you should be like this is what you're doing and then it says he is to rebuke so he is to go after the conscience where he is to verbally correct how people are thinking how people are living what they are doing uh, they shouldn't be doing or what they aren't doing that they should be doing all those things so he is to rebuke people and then it says he is to exhort which is to encourage to request only which attacks the will to motivate people to do something so he goes off the intellect get, get your thinking right and then goes off the conscience making right decisions and the one saying act out of this do something with this and he is to do it paul says with patience and teaching and so he is to be completely patient because he's in for the long haul he's going to keep going when people don't listen and and it's hard work and you have to keep saying and he's to keep teaching them again and again and again and so Tim, all he's saying to Timothy, this is what you are to do. This should mark your life. This should stand 
uh, you out um, and uh, as, a, as a believer, you are to preach the word. That is the what. And then we move on to verses three and four and we find the why. Why, why should I be doing this, Paul, would be the response. And Paul neatly then just brings it in. He begins at verse three with the word for. If you're taking notes in your Bible, you mark that word because that gives a reason for what Paul has just said. Why should we do that? He says, for the time is coming. He said, there is a time that is coming where those are abandoning the faith of Jesus. They are rejecting what Jesus is doing. This time is now in these last days. We looked at that a couple of sermons back about what it meant to be in the last days, which we are living in now between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. And he characterizes this time with four statements. He says that these people will not endure sound teaching, whether that's through boredom, uh, through apathy, through annoyance. They're not going to put up with the truth of God's word. There's going to be a rejection of that truth and there's going to be a rejection of those who teach it and those who speak out against it and saying that there's going to be so into that you have to keep preaching the word. And in contrast to that, what they will do, these people says they will have itching ears, which is a, a phrase that was used to say people desire novelty. Uh, they want something that is new and exciting and uh, they're, they're kind of driven after their own sinful desires that cannot be satisfied uh, because they're, they're going away from truth. But that's what they want. They want something new and they're not willing to settle for the old truth. That is the word of God. They want something novel and interesting. Um, and so he's saying that's what people are going to be like. And he says they will turn away from truth. There will be an active rejection of the word of God and the truth of God and everything that has been proclaimed over the years. And they will turn to myths, he said, which is like fictions, untruth. They will go after things that just frankly don't stand up to examination. And he says, because of that, that's the context within your preaching. There are people who are having a wholesale rejection of truth, just going after lies, going after whatever they're being fed, going after novelty, going after what is new. And into that context, Timothy, that is why you are to preach the word. Then in finally, in verse five, there is, is the how. The how are you to do this? So I've got my charge. And he gives Timothy clear in, um, advice on this because it begins as for you. Key phrase, because Paul suddenly has been talking about people. This is what they're like. That's what the world is like. Society is like people are like. But then he spins the guns around and he trains them right on Timothy. And he says, as for you. The finger comes straight to him. He says, always, always. So this is the attitude that a preacher of the word must have uh, throughout their ministry, throughout their life, whatever they're doing. He says, be sober minded, which means keep your head. It's the opposite of drunken lack of control. People who can't stand, they lose their balance. They, they lose their speed. They can't think clearly. He says, no, you are to be sober minded. You are to be alert. You are to be self-controlled, level headed. You are to be so reminded in what you're doing. He says you are to endure suffering. It's going to be tough. Paul has already mentioned that in the letter. He's, he's demonstrated it through his life, that this is going to involve hardship because people don't want to hear the truth. And there'll be a kickback and a pushback against the truth of the word of God. He says, but you are to endure suffering. You are to keep going even when it's hard. You are to keep going. He says you are to do the work of an evangelist. An evangelist was the herald, the one who came proclaiming 
good news. And Timothy is to have that role. He is to proclaim the good news of Jesus, of his life, death and resurrection. He is to constantly lift that up and point people to it. And that is his role, to point people to Jesus, to remind them of the truth of what Jesus has done. And then he finishes with a summary statement there, fulfill your ministry. That word fulfill is to discharge, complete, go about it with a sense of obligation. This is what I've been called to. This is what I'm about. This is a task I have to accomplish in preaching the word in season and out of season. And so that is what that is the the what, um, the why and the how of Timothy's charge that Paul has given to him. And then finally, we look at the, the verses of six, seven and eight, which is the who who is giving it, and that's the Apostle Paul. He is speaking to Timothy, Timothy's father in the faith. And in this moment, Paul has his kind of sort of um, honest reflection on where he is and what his brief future holds, because he talks about his life that is being sacrificed for the gospel. He evaluates it in in the light of that, and then what's going to happen, um, how he's going to be vindicated at the end. And so the first verse there, verse six, is a verse of sacrifice. It's a verse of sacrifice. It begins with a personal pronoun. It says, I, for I. And uh, the for there obviously comes out. He's given this charge to Timothy. And why is Timothy taking this charge? Because Paul says, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. That's a, an allusion to the sacrificial system which was all predicated around death and the shedding of blood. And he said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I'm being emptied out. Imagine the cup just being poured out. So there's going to be nothing left. And this is an image of Paul's death because he says, and the time of my departure has come. I'm going away, Timothy. I am leaving you. I am not going to be around anymore. And we know from church history that he is in a Roman jail. He is facing execution and uh, church history tells me he was beheaded um, there. And so this is Paul knows what's coming. He knows what's happening. And there is a sense of urgency. He says, I'm going to leave you, Timothy, and I'm not going to be with you anymore. I'm reminded of that scene at the end of The Lord of the Rings. If you've seen the movie or read the book, there's a scene where the hobbits go down uh, to the harbour and Frodo is there and Frodo has to leave with Gandalf on the ships and go to the undying lands and there's that goodbye and it's like Frodo goes I'm going and there is a moment of sadness where he is leaving and they are not going to see him again and the hobbits are left on the on the dock as the ship sails out into the sunset and he's gone and Paul is in that situation I'm going I'm leaving you you're not going to see me again because my death is coming I am being poured out as a drink offering yet in that moment of would have been uh, sadness in his life, knowing the end is coming, he has, he evaluates it and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. I've fought the good fight, which means I've competed in this good context. The imagery is an athletic um, background. I've had a focus committed effort and it has been a good one. I have given my all to this. And he says, I've finished the race which means I finished the course that's been given out of me. A race would have a course if it was in um, a stadium where they would run up and down. He says, I've finished that. I've completed my life and ministry. I have kept the faith, which is a reference to a pledge 
some commentators believe it's a, again a reference to athletic contests where um, in um, going into an athletic event there was a pledge they took uh, to commit to train a certain amount and then take part in the race follow the rules and Paul is saying I have kept that I have kept the Christian faith I've never altered I've never wavered on my belief. I have kept going. And in light of his own evaluation, he has been what Jesus said in the parables, a good and faithful servant. So despite his coming death, despite he knows this is the end, he knows in light of that, I have done what God has asked me to do. I have lived the life he's called me to. I have honoured his call on my life. I have discharged my responsibilities as apostle going around planting churches. And then verse eight, that last verse of our passage is a vindication of his ministry. Why would Paul keep going? Because he says, he says, begins henceforth from this point, that's all that's left for me is there is laid out for me a crown. Again, another athletic image. If a winner of a race would wear a crown, a laurel crown on the head to show everyone that they'd won. And it was a sign of great prestige and people would treat them like heroes and, and look after them and give them money and all those things. And he says, I'm going to have a crown, but I'm not going to have a crown like that. That would just fade. He says, it's a crown of righteousness, right standing before God. That is what has been laid up for me. And this crown of righteousness has been given to me it says by the lord who is the righteous judge so jesus himself has judged him and jesus judged perfectly and rightly and he will give righteousness to his servants and he will award it to me on that day that day is coming where he's already mentioned it about the appearing of his kingdom there's one day coming when this world will be wrapped up it will be renewed and the order that we understand now will be gone and there'll be no more crying and no more suffering and no more tears and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and Paul knows on that day, that's what I'm going to receive. So I might be in a dungeon now. I might be about to die. But actually, there is a day coming when I will receive a reward, reward from my Lord and Savior. And that puts things in perspective because Paul, we know, has suffered much in his life. If you just go and read 2 Corinthians 11, where he lists the things he's going through about the shipwrecks and the beatings and the lashings and being in hunger and being alone and being on the road, all those things. He says, but... In light of that, it's worth it because I have something laid up for me in heaven, a crown of righteousness that Jesus himself will give to me. And I will receive on that day a reward for my actions and for my faithfulness, which just is such a wonderful note to end on, in light, even in the light of his coming sacrifice and death. So that's our passage. So we've looked at the what, the why, the how and the who of this command to preach the word. So let's look at a, a few application points for us and then I will finish. So I've got three things um, I want to talk to us about as we end. And hopefully these will find these useful as we earth this um, in our lives. And you can take this forward um, and dwell over this over the next few weeks. And so if we are going to be men and women who preach the word, there's three things I think we should take away from this. The first one is that you need to know the word. You need to know the word. If you're going to preach it in season and out of season to keep going, you need to know it. You need to know what it is that you've been asked to do, because this charge that Paul gave to Timothy is actually the charge that Paul gives to all of us as, as followers of Jesus. We've all been asked. Jesus himself said to his followers, go into all the world. And preach the good news teach everyone so we're just following on from that but if we're going to be men and women to do that well do that faithfully do that consistently we need to know what we're talking about which means first of all that you need to have a daily habit of reading your bible 
You can do this in many, many ways. You can do this in long sections or short sections. You can read chapters or several chapters. You can use reading plans that cover a single book of the Bible or the Old Testament or the New Testament or, or, or going through the whole thing. You can do whatever it is, but you need to be men and women who read your Bible daily. If you're unsure about do this, we've got a module on the real life school, which you already run once. We're going to run it again in the new term, get in contact with Melanie or Charlotte or Jeremy, and they will help you find the dates. You can get to that. We set uh, you up with coaches who will help you with Bible reading um, and get you going in that. So we need to be people who read the Bible to know it, but not just read it. I think it's good that we read it and we read it regularly. We also need to meditate on it, which means we are to think about what it says, to dwell on it. It's good to read sections. You get stories, you get kind of ideas, but actually we also need to pause and stop and look and think about it and try going a bit deeper um, why don't you try this week if you've never done this try reading some of the verses from our passage slowly and thinking about what they mean and how they apply to you, you could try it with verse two where it says preach the word be ready in season out of season repuve rebuke and exhort with complete patient teaching what does that mean for you to be ready in season out of season, out of season? is there anything the word needs to say to you to reprove and rebuke you? Is there anything you need to teach others, to tell others? What about verse seven? It says, I fought the good faith, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Read that, dwell on that. What does that mean for your life? Are you fighting the good fight? Are you running your race? Have you kept the faith? Because one day there will be an end, there will be a reckoning. Think deeply about the word of God. Are there anything God is telling you to do? Anything he's telling you to not do? What's he telling you about himself? What's he telling you about you and where you stand before God? Meditate, read God's word, meditate on God's word. It's also good to read books about the word so we can understand it. In the new term, we are going to look at some sections from 1 Kings and 2 Kings, The Life of Elijah. And we recommended the uh, Phil Moore book on that that can help you study with that, which is great. But if you want to take a look at kind of the wider Bible, I'd just love to recommend this book um, called The Bible in 100 Pages by Phil Moore. This is a fantastic book to get um, to understand the whole of Scripture. 66 books of the Bible, thousands of pages. How do we kind of try and get a handle on it? This is brilliant. He's done a great job at condensing this down to 100 pages, which means you can knock this off really short chapters going through each section of the Bible. If you haven't read this, I can thoroughly recommend it to you. If you'd like a copy, just stick your name in the chat. I'll get your copy sent to you um, so you can have a read over summer. It's a brilliant book, but it'll help you understand the Bible as a whole. There are video resources to learn about the Bible. We recommend some of the Bible project videos that cover all the books of the Bible, Old and New Testament. They cover some of the themes of the Bible. Look that up, have a read. But you need to know the word. You need to understand the Bible, the big story, what's happening in it. And all those things can help you. So that's the first one. The second thing you need to do is you need to preach the word to yourself. Preach the word to yourself. So once you know the word, you need to preach it. And the first person you need to preach it to is yourself, because you need to remind yourself daily of the good news of Jesus. You need to remind yourself daily of what it means to be one of his followers, what it means to be part of his family, what it means to be part of his kingdom. And we have kind of two elements of that. You've got the big story of the Bible that you're part of that talks about the creation uh, where God made everything, the fall, 
where we sin and we rebel against God and then the long reconciliation where God was drawing mankind back to himself and then we have at the end the consummation where everything will come together and man and God will be with each other forever and there's the personal element of the Bible where God created man man rebelled Christ came as God in man form and dealt with this problem of sin by dying on the cross rising again and then we have to make a response to that how what are we going to do and we need to be constantly reminding that of ourselves. The best sermons I've ever preached are the ones I preach to myself, where I remind myself what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what I've been saved from, what I've been saved to, what the, the great sin that was an offense to God that now has been dealt with in Christ, the fact that I am now part of his kingdom, I'm now holy, righteous, a saint i'm part of the great family of god the church and i have a calling in him to walk with him all the days of my life i've been filled with the holy spirit i can know his presence i have his word with me where i can read and he speaks to me through that all those things are stuff that we need to be reminded of day by day we need to know it we need to preach it to ourselves so we never ever forget it we need to be so familiar with the word because we've preached it to ourselves that when it comes to passing it on, we know what we're talking about. So we need to know the word. Uh, we need to preach the word. And then finally, we need to preach the word to others. We preach to ourselves. We need to preach it to others. Time is short. The kingdom of God is coming. All will be judged. People need to know the truth. We need to preach the word to those inside the church. We need to preach the word to those outside the church we need to do all we can to communicate the goodness and the grace of God to as many people as possible and as often we can in our homes in our workplaces in our social settings if you're a parent here you need to do it to your children whether you've got kids or young people in your home you need to take every opportunity to proclaim it to them whether you use kids bibles or daily prayers or some of the kids work videos we put out um, you need to take every opportunity if it means buying them a new bible or a new journal just because that sparks interest do it do everything you can to do that outside of our home we need to take every opportunity in workplaces in people we meet to spread the good news and you need to use your wisdom on what that means and how that works out because you know your people you know your context but we need to be on the front foot we need to show love and grace people and how we serve them and what we do for them and how we do our job but we also need to proclaim the truth of Jesus we need to speak about Jesus because that is the charge that has been given to us as the men and women of God we are to preach the word in season and out in season we are to be consistent when it's good and when it works and people are responsive and it's wonderful but also when it's hard and people don't like it and people get offended we are still with grace and love and mercy sober-minded do the work of an evangelist and fulfill our ministry before god to preach the word what i'd love to do now to finish is just to pray for us pray for us all in this that this is the great calling that we have received and we are now being charged in the presence of God as Paul said who was a judge of the living and the dead and the appearing of his kingdom that we are to take this on ourselves just like Timothy was and I don't know about you but that could evoke feelings of um, guilt because I haven't done it very well or I've avoided it it can invoke feelings of kind of fear or anxiety like what's going to happen if I speak 
the word out. It can uh, it can evoke excitement because you think, yeah, I want people to know Jesus. All these things. What are people going to say about me? But all this stuff, God knows all this stuff his servants have been through over the years. And God wants us to be faithful to him. He wants us to be faithful to him and obedient to his calling. And so I want to pray for us now that we would be men and women full of the Holy Spirit who would take this charge seriously to preach the word, that we would get to know the word ourselves, that we would preach it to ourselves and be so reminded and so in love with Jesus that it would come out with us as we go out and proclaim and preach to others in our homes, in our workplaces, in our social settings, wherever it is. And we are going to be men and women who preach the word. So maybe you want to close your eyes. Maybe you want to just hold out your hands. Maybe you want to just bring your own thoughts, feelings, insecurities, or whatever it is before God, your own excitement. And I'm just going to lead us in a moment of prayer to receive from him. Lord God, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for what it reveals to us. I want to thank you for your great story of salvation, of your kingdom that has come and is coming, that we have been caught up into the eternal purposes of God. I want to thank you for your grace and mercy poured out. I thank you that we were blind, but now we see. We were dead but now we are alive. Lord, we were lost, but now we have hope and purpose in you. We were orphans astray, but now we have been adopted into a family with you as our father and brothers and sisters around us. God, I thank you for that truth, Lord. I pray you take that truth and you bury that in our heart, Lord God. I pray that you would open your word to us, that we would hunger and thirst for it, as David wrote in the Psalms, Lord, that we would study, we would read your word, we would learn from it, open our ears, open our eyes to receive that, God, open um, our hearts to, to receive your word and to be willing to ask for help if we find it hard, to seek encouragement, to seek guidance in that, God, I pray that you would make us all preachers of the word, primarily to ourselves, that we would remind ourselves daily what it means to be men and women of God who've been saved by you, who've been called out by you, Lord God, would we never lose that first love of the gospel, that excitement of what it means to follow you, the fact that we've been forgiven, the fact that we've been drawn in, the fact that we are now righteous and holy before you, God, never let that fade, God, forgive us when we have neglected that truth, we have seen it as old hat or just we're past that, God, renew our love and our hunger for you, Lord. And I pray, God, as your people, you would empower us to go and preach the word in season and out season with complete patience and teaching. God, I pray you'd give us opportunities to share your good news in big ways, in little ways. I pray you'd give us opportunities to speak well of you, to speak well of your kingdom, to speak well of your people, to speak about what you've done in our lives, what you've done in the lives of others. God, I pray for opportunities for that so if you are sitting there thinking you want opportunities in your workplace family home to speak to others God ask for it now ask for the Holy Spirit to come fill you that you may preach the word to do the work of an evangelist in wherever you find yourself Lord God, I want to thank you that you are always with us by your spirit, 
that you fill us, you empower us, you lead us, you guide us, you give us words to speak. God, we pray uh, as we come out of this lockdown season, we begin to meet together together, that we begin to see more and more people, that you will give us opportunities to proclaim your word boldly. So be sober-minded to endure suffering, to do the work of the evangelists and to fill, fulfill the ministries you have given us. And all God's people say, amen. amen. Thank you all. Um, I'm going to uh, hand this back to Charlotte.